Where it's very good television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. You're having fun today, aren't you? Well. You're a little, you're just a, you got, a, you got some goofs in you. It's late in the afternoon. I don't feel great. <laughs> you, what was it? You either were tired or hungry? Yeah. And you know that. You know that state. Yeah. It's like the old uh, five-hour energy ads where they, they were just like, well, you don't want to have another cup of coffee. And you probably shouldn't have another snack. Try a five-hour energy. That won't kill you at all. It will not kill you. <laughs> also, coincidentally, our sponsor this week. No, it, it is not our sponsor. It is not. We are not we, affiliated with them. We have no sponsorship. None. Except for, except for Coke. Except for the leftovers. I mean, <laughs> ignore that. Pay no attention. Anyways, <laughs> we're doing great at getting this off the ground. Um, but we have a. it's a really interesting show we're going to try to talk about today. And it's a show both Ben and I really like. Uh, and hopefully yeah. it's a show that you really like, because gosh darn it, people, if you're not watching Dear White People, I don't know what to do with you. Wait, what? Dear White People. That's not, that wasn't the topic we agreed on. That is totally the topic we agreed on. We were going to talk about The Leftovers. <laughs> Jesus. No. How did it? No. We, we, no, <laughs> don't. We, uh, we very much had this discussion in which we agreed that because the the devastating events of episode four would ruin our listenership for, I mean, life on a Monday morning, you know, like the night after. Like, I mean, they've, they've been in the throes of emotional turmoil all night long, and we're here morning of to try to save them, to try to, you know, make things okay again uh, for, our, for our devout listenership, who's clearly all Leftovers fans. At this um, point. If they're not, I, don't, I have no idea how they've withstood. Well, we've chased off everyone else. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So I thought we agreed that it was a necessary service to provide them some sort of joy. And by doing that, the only thing we could talk about was a different show like Dear White. Oh, that's how it came around. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. That took you a little while there, huh? <sighs> Shit. Yep. All right. Well, I guess let's, I guess for the leftovers, let's you talk about the, a different you show. You gave Dear White People an A. I did. It's great. It's yeah. one of the best TV shows of the year. Wow. Easily. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're making that big a statement about it. Oh yeah, that's um, true. I mean, I wrote two reviews about it. Yeah, two, two reviews. Both Some things. shows show, show. Sometimes you don't even give one, show one review. A lot of shows I don't give one review. Big Bang Theory. Reviewed. Kevin can wait. Are you sure you didn't review? I did not. Oh. I did review Man with a Plan. <laughs> but, but that's I, but that's for Joey. And I basically just used it as an excuse to talk about episodes. Right. So. But anyway, Dear White People is fantastic. I hope by now that you have taken the time to catch up with it. I have been inundated with Justin Simeon's tweets <laughs> from fans slash everyone who's talked about, you know, that they've just finished the binge. And they've said that starting with, starting on like Friday morning at 8 a.m., mm-hmm. you know, after it was premiered all the way up until today. So I feel like people, I mean, I feel like people are watching it, even though that's a a terrible way to judge if people are watching a show. If, if the showrunner is, uh, it, not the showrunner, just the creator. But the creator, director, writer. Um, but uh, if, he's, if he's retweeting a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's clearly, that's, not, that's, that's the best number we're going to get out of a Netflix show. It, well, that's a fair point. Um, but I mean, we were ta- in talking about Dear White People, we are, of course, referring to the Netflix 
we're going to go ahead and say it's a comedy. It's certainly a half hour. It's certainly the you know categories it's going to be competing in. What if they caused a stir and tried to compete as a drama? That'd be crazy pants. That might get them some awards attention. It'd be interesting. I think it's too late though, right? I don't know if they can switch categories at this stage. Didn't I don't think uh, I don't think Orange is New Black got it's when when Orange is the New Black got moved into the drama category. I'm trying, I was trying to remember when you, because I remember you were out of town in like Vegas, but you still somehow managed to run to a computer and write up the news really quickly. And I think that might have been early May. So there's a chance they could try for it. But I mean, it, it is it does kind of exist in that kind of dramedy sweet spot that we're seeing a lot of these days. Um, because it is both a show that is very, very funny at times and also very, very intense at times. And goes to some dark places. I think we're going to try to keep this spoiler free, right, Ben? March 20th was when the decision came down about Orange is the New Black. Okay. In 2015. So that's probably too late. Yeah. And okay. I, they did, they already announced some of the category switches like that. So uh, I almost said it's always sunny. Um, Lemony Snicket, the, right. a series of unfortunate events, is competing as a comedy, even though it's an hour long. Yeah. Which is good, which is where it belongs. But. Yeah. But no, you're right. Uh, we'll keep this spoiler free uh, for the most part. There will be a few examples I think we'll need to cite that hopefully will not ruin things, but we will preface them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean, Dear White People is a show that demands discussion because it invites discussion unto itself. Like it wants to be uh, not just part of the conversation, but a driving force of the conversation in terms of uh, cultural identity and, and race in America and, and kind of where we stand on a lot of these uh, big issues, and at the same time, like you said, it is extremely funny. Like it's very, very smart. You wrote a wonderful story about the what a lot of people are citing as their favorite part of the show, which is a scandal parody that the uh, college students all gather to watch. Yeah, every defamation week called defamation. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, and ju- and Justin Simeon said uh, in 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 that piece that it was his favorite. Those were his favorite scenes to direct. Uh, he apparently really got a taste for directing soap operas out of this show, which is fun. And good for him. Be interested to see him do one. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really impressive about Dear White People is the way in which it has really, it it really did transfer beautifully from the original film, which was released in 2014, uh, to the screen in, in this way. And I think what, one of the things I was most delighted by in terms of discovering the show was the fact that it, you know, it was the big choice to basically break this, break the story down by character and break it, break the show, it, break it out every character into their own episodes. Yes, and by giving uh, each episode to a character, the important thing to note is that they don't retread. There is some, there's some narrative that becomes reframed when you see it from a new perspective or when you pick it up from the other side. But the story is mostly moving forward. There's mostly new information, and, and you know the ensemble still gets together in every episode. It's not an arrest development situation where they're doing this to avoid like cast, you know, schedules or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's still involved. It's just it, it takes on a new perspective. The narrator Giancarlo Esposito frames the discussion around this character and kind of gives you an introduction. And then he slowly kind of fades away over the course of the episode. But um, but yeah, it, it works very well from a TV standpoint because of that, because it's it's not just using it to tell the same story as the movie, it's using it to progress things forward, but it also gives it a nice framework to work out of that is very easy to understand, and it also makes it into an episodic structure, which is mm-hmm. very, very important. It's it's a, 
it's both a simple and a advanced structuring that Simeon implements because of how he chooses to progress the story and also, you know, reframe things as you go through it. Um, it's 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 very well done. I, I'm I'm very impressed with how well he took to TV from somebody who's coming straight out of you know the Sundance hit. Yeah, so. I mean it helped. You know, I I the credits on his on his for his showrunner uh, whose name I'm blanking on Yvette. Okay, Ben's gonna look it up, um, but. Uh, you know she's 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 an established TV pro, but I feel like what's really interesting to talk in talking about the structure of Dear White People is something I feel like I've seen maybe mention of on on the on the Twitters here and there, but the idea that it is not it is a really good example of how to construct a season of television for Netflix, which is something they were very conscious of in kind of approaching the show and approaching the writing of it. Like you, and just kind of the idea that you know when you make a TV show for Netflix, the creators who have been really successful of late are the creators who are very conscious of the fact that you pe- people watch TV on Netflix differently than they watch like a broadcast show, and you know the fact that you know stream the way streaming works, the way you know binging happens, like it does affect things. Yeah, and at the same time, I. I'd- I mean, you know me, I'm the old man curmudgeon. Like, I'd, I'd almost prefer that this is something that came out weekly because it is so focused on stimulating a discussion. And because they're half-hour episodes, there's 10 of them, you can be done with it in five hours, which at best is somebody's weekend these days. Mm-hmm. It's too easy to forget about once it goes away. And that's not saying the show is forgettable. It's just saying that binging, as we've discussed, can make things much harder to hold on to or because you're, you're just not spending the same amount of time with it as you are on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And it makes it harder for these discussions to gain traction online. It makes it harder for these discussions to gain, gain traction anywhere because everybody's watching on a different pace. Um, so I, I'm very grateful to have been able to see all 10 episodes and kind of experience it that way. But it is something that is so well done on an episode-by-episode basis. And because they do highlight different characters and different perspectives, um, even within you know, their own storyline in those episodes, it would be nice if we had a week to sit with it and just let everybody talk themselves out about what happened that week. Certainly, like, the fact that... The, the fact that the, the episode that is triggered the most discussion um, is... A, that is not a, maybe a great choice of words. Uh, poor phrasing. Poor phrasing. The episode that has inspi- inspired a lot of conversation is episode five, and I think that... It's a, having it, having that midpoint, having that having a big tonal shift come for the show midway through the season, is such a smart move just because it does break things up if you are binging, but also does create like you know if you do basically decide to get halfway through and then take a break, it leaves you off it, it leaves off on a really interesting point. And um, I actually went to a binge viewing marathon screening of uh, I Love Dick on uh, Sunday or a week ago as you listen to this. And that was a really interesting experience. Uh, it's always interesting. I've only occasionally had the opportunity to watch an entire season of television uh, in a movie theater uh, at one, in one sitting. In the case, in, but in the case of I Love Dick, uh, there, they, there are eight episodes in that season, um, most of which are very short. And uh, so they broke it up into two parts with a panel discussion and tacos in between. The tacos were very good. Um, and... Uh, what was interesting about that was episode four um, ends on an interesting note, and then episode five is like a completely other thing. 
um, from the rest of the season. And what's smart about it is that it does break up the rhythm. And I feel like, like you know, with streaming, with these streaming shows, like having having like a big episode or two come at that come come at the midpoint is becoming more and more essential. Like to make sure that kind of wake people up to some degree. I'd, see, I'd argue that that's almost unessential to the platform. I think that's an, a necessity no matter what you're writing. Like we're, we're entering a stage of television of, in both because there's so much of it and because it's all so well done that everything is competing for your time these days. And frankly, if you're too slow on the draw, then it's, that's not going to work out. You've got to have something hit pretty quickly for it. Like you, obviously your pilot is a big deal. The first exposure is a big deal. But you can't. You, you need to experiment early and often mm-hmm. uh, to show people that this is something worth paying attention to, even if it's if it's a difference between paying attention in the literal sense of I'm sitting on my couch and I'm also on Twitter while the show's playing, and then something happens like oh shit, I need to put my phone away and actually pay attention to this, and in the broader sense of more people need to be watching this show. Um, so I I mean I agree that it's it's good that creators are starting to pay attention to the medium they're on. Mm -hmm. That's obviously an important thing you need to kind of consider when you're constructing episodes and when you're breaking a season. Um, But I think that people would be better served, creators, writers, producers for television would be better served to heed that advice no matter what. Make your shows matter every episode. Like make big changes, make big things. Like you need to hold on to your audience now more than ever, even if you're just a you know, even if you're a traditional sitcom, like people are tuning in for a good reason. You you, you kind of need to give them the reason to come in, come back, and stay with it. I see your point there. Um, I feel like uh, I mean, just for some reason in my head, I'm comparing uh, BoJack Horseman season one to BoJack Horseman season three, where BoJack Horseman season one, like the first six or seven episodes, which was all you had to review when you did your very first initial review of it. There weren't any like major like breakout moments or you know big narrative experiments, but in season three we get a lot of big shifts uh, and a, like fish out of water the famously silent episode. It got it's episode four I believe in the season. I think so. That sound, seems right to me. Um, American Gods is doing something similar. Uh, you get, you know, if you're watching that show, you're going to find that episode. You're, you're going to be enjoying your way through it, and then episode four is going to come for you. And episode four is really something special, you guys. Uh, well, yeah, but and that's also the halfway mark for American Gods. Is there's it not? Is, there's only eight. There's only eight episodes. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I mean, and, and it's a necessary moment too. I think, but it's like, like you said, like putting it all out there, you know, trying everything you can and as soon as possible in some cases. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of this kind of discussion stems back to that to that point of, you know, the competitiveness of all this. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you can't coast anymore and there's there's less time for you to figure it out, like especially if it's your first season, like you have you have a lot less time than you used to to just say, okay, well we were figuring out what really works about this show, um, and that's again one of the beautiful things about Dear White People is it arrives with a very very strong, confident voice, and that's huge. Like that's that's such a big um, that's such a big deal for viewers. Obviously, we're gonna stick with it. And uh, such a big deal that they were able to recognize the need for that when mm-hmm. they were making the show. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, American Gods is interesting, if only because it's slow. It is, especially two and three. And what four does 
you're right, it is different, but it's similar to a lot of other TV right now and not as well done, in my opinion. Um, I really liked it, but we can agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. Um, what are other shows that you feel like had a really brilliant first season in, ta- in executing the kind of stuff we're talking about here? I mean, Master of None, which is returning for season two, did this very, very well. And kind of, depending on where you're coming from, it, it famously looked at these episodes as short films. Like, mm-hmm. and they, the presentation of them was very cinematic in both the, you know, everything from the title cards to the way it was shot to the storytelling itself. Um, and they continue to do that in season two, um, which is something you'll be able to talk about and see for yourself come Friday this week. Um, but they did that both from a storytelling aspect and from a, a, a formal aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, they changed a lot from episode to episode both in what they were talking about and how they were telling it and how they were talking about it, um, which really did a great job to stimulate interest throughout and, and create this viewing experience that you were addicted to. And yet, at the same time, old man curmudgeon Ben and the rest of my ever-dwindling party would still be willing to watch that on a week-to-week basis because each episode could stand on its own and each episode demanded discussion. Yeah, Master of None is a fascinating show to watch for the first time because it's, you know, you never know what you're going to get. with it. Every episode is a surprise and a really delightful one, um, but it's also very consistently part of the same format. So, um, I mean, it's... Dear White People has this element, too, where it's like you start every episode being really excited because you don't know who whose episode it's going to be. I feel like there's another show where... I'm blanking on this, like, but there was another show that was very character-oriented and... Oh, it was uh, Orange is the New Black does this, um, where basically, especially in the first season or two, like when it was much more formal, um, formal when it came to its flashback structure, um, you'd be really excited about watching the new episode and be like, okay, whose story are they telling now? Yeah, Lost flashbacks as well. Lost flashbacks. Oh, yeah, Lost was really big about that. Um, that's a special advantage to character-oriented uh, storytelling, uh, character-oriented uh, uh, you know, episode structure. Mm-hmm. And what's key, I think, with a lot of shows like this, especially ones that are willing to branch off and devote an entire episode to a person, which, I mean, we just saw this happen on Fargo, even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just another another Carrie Coon solo hour uh, on Fargo. So we had two of those in 10 days, which was wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, you, you need that you need that serialized narrative to keep people engaged as well. Like, otherwise, you're just turning it into something that would literally be short films or would literally be standalone episodes or anthology episodes or however you want to look at them. There is still always that through line driving things and not disregarding the importance of that is usually what makes the difference to me. Like Master of None, especially in its first season, yeah, it it was surprising and they'd kind of veer off and do standalone little things every once in a while, but you were still tracking Dev and you were still tracking kind of where he was going on both a romantic level and personally and professionally and like all of these things that kept moving things forward. Dear White People has a very strong core structure that it tracks. Like it, it is very specific in its narrative and where it's trying to take the story and where these characters are going. Some of those arcs are traditional that make you feel very comfortable and then they kind of break that up in how you know the twists and turns are, are pulled off. Um, but you need that through line. You do need that strong through line no matter what when you're going to create kind of an addictive, I want to keep watching this uh, narrative thing, whether you binge it or not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the 
lovely thing is just, you know, making great TV for no matter what the medium does matter at a certain level. I mean, I know that's kind of reverse what I said in praising Dear White People for being very much built for streaming. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, a good show is a good show. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. All shows, they gotta be good. That's important. <laughs> gotta be good. Yes. Gotta be like the leftovers. <laughs> when you describe the leftovers to people, what do you when, when you say like, you know, the one where blink happens, like when Kevin goes to the hotel or that sort well, of thing. Well, that's a spoiler. It depends on who I'm talking to. Usually right. I'm talking to people who have never seen it. Uh, so I have to convince them to watch it. Right. Um, I've gotten lucky. I've gotten lucky and a little lazy of late. Um, just yesterday on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday yeah. for the people listening, whenever. Uh, I was at a bar and I was talking with uh, the bartender and I convinced her to watch The Leftovers <laughs> simply because I was a TV critic at IndieWire. She knew IndieWire. She liked IndieWire. And she was like, oh, okay. Well, I saw like the first few minutes of that and then something happened. I, I didn't get back to it. Um, but you're saying I should really go back. And I was like, yeah. And I was ready to give the full spiel, but that was all it took. And she said she was in. So I had another name to the list. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting these days to recommend a show to anyone at any time because it's always like a small part of the person you're talking to is hoping when they ask, you know, what should I be watching or you know, what's the best thing on TV or whatever it is that you're going to answer with something they're already watching. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just because it's easier for conversation and sometimes it's because there's so much TV they don't want something else to add to the list. Yeah. So like when, we, when I tell somebody to watch Dear White People, it's like, okay, I need to come up with a really good reason and I need to have like good backing. And you can include a lot of these caveats like you were talking about. It's a very easy show to binge. It's made in a way in which you'll be addicted to it. It's made in a way that's conscious to the platform that it's on. Um, and then <laughs> I have to restrain myself from saying, yeah, it's really easy to binge, but don't binge it. Like it's better if you just go one at a time because then people are like, oh, fuck, I don't have time for that. I need something that I can just turn on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the recommendation process is always kind of fun. Yeah, you just try, just try to make it sound like as easy as possible to watch. Like I try to make it's like it, it you know, kind of maybe sometimes you sometimes you got to just downplay like you know, like the emotional devastation of a show. Like maybe don't lead with that if you're trying to convince someone to watch The Leftovers. No way, they got to be ready. <laughs> you don't want to blindside them. Then can you ever actually be ready for The no. Leftovers? But you got to do the best you can. You got to do the best you can. <laughs> Oh gosh! And I mean, like you're like you're kind of hinting at a lot of it will be accessibility. Like if you say a show, they might not know it, and then they'd ask, "Well, what's it on?" And if you don't say Netflix, then they're probably going to write you off. They're just going to be like, "Well, I can't watch that then. Yeah. I don't have cable." I'm glad. I've been very glad that The Handmaid's Tale has been doing well for us traffic-wise, and Hulu has said that it is their biggest hit ever. But that does not mean that everyone's watching it, and that's a shame. Step in the right direction. People like Benjamin maybe haven't even watched it. Busy man, Liz. Your pitches have been terrible. It's so good. I know. It's emotionally devastating, Ben. You love that. Well, you you have not you have not reminded people properly of the main reason to watch The Handmaid's Tale. Which is? And out. No, that's not correct. It is correct. No. It is. You no. haven't done it. No. Where's my and out interview, Liz? I haven't. Put it up. No, I'm busy. Oh my god! Well, Actually, no, I already. I did Only interview have yourself her. Yourself to blame. We already have inter- we have interview quotes with Ann Dad on the site. I 
know what quotes we have on the site, Liz. It is not an article devoted to Andowd, so it does not count. No one would ever accuse you of being myopic. That was sarcasm. Everyone should accuse you of being myopic. I don't care. I know. You lunatic. Um, Ben, look, let's just get to it. What was the best thing you watched last week? And it's the leftovers. Yep. Um, yep. How come? I don't. I don't. I don't apologize for doing my due diligence during the last now four <clears throat> weeks of the leftovers epic run. Um, I will say that Master Nun season two is great. Um, I took a few peeks after I published my own review of a few of the others that have gotten out there, and um, I was very happy to see that some people agreed because that always gives me reassurance because Mm -hmm. I'm a very doubting man. Uh, But I did note that a few people cited some things that I expected. Like, it's a very personal season to Mm -hmm. me. I don't don't care about it being true or not true or if this happened to Aziz and then he wrote about it and happened to Dev or whatever. But it feels personal. Like, it is is ambitious for reasons outside of that. But the main arc is a very personal story and that is something that divides people especially when they're looking at a show that is bigger than that or can be perceived as bigger than that or Mm -hmm. they see as having a responsibility bigger than that and i think it fills those responsibilities fine nor do i think that that's what it's adherent to um but i would cite that that master of none and dear white people are both very good at this because in dear white people the core romance of that show could stand on its own two feet anywhere anytime no problem it is a beautifully written love story. And the fact that they're able to incorporate that into a show about so much more and do everything else that well only makes the series better. And mm-hmm. to me, that same logic applies to Master of None. So I'll go with that. That's yeah. good. Those are good. Watch those two this week. Yeah. Find the time. <laughs> uh, Liz, was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I'm not going to say this is the best television show, like, objectively. Oh, Jesus. Oh. I know it's coming. Yeah, the crash was really fun. Well, I can't really talk about the best thing I watched because it's under embargo still. But the catch is the show I can talk about uh, right now. And I, I've i been meaning to catch up on it. And I'm really glad I did last night. It's just, it's just fun. It's just a fun, goofy caper story. If you like Ocean's Eleven, if you like stories about con men, and you like attractive people finding any time and opportunity to make out with each other it's a great show it's very it's it's very much of its of a piece with you know classic like crazy classic silly shows i used to watch all the time like alias um and there's all that fun to it and then you also throw in like gina torres and john sim and peter krause and muriel uh, enos i'm not sure i'm saying her name right but lady you like I do. She's fantastic. Yeah. No, she's great in the show. And it's just like a fun, sexy uh, show. I like it. It makes me happy, Ben. I I, I, made, I was sad when I found that there was no new episode for me to watch. Well, I, this is... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm both concerned for you and our listenership in that by the time that people hear this, the show could have been canceled. Yes, that is also true. So, but watch it. But you know, it's it's it, enjoy it. Life is life is fleeting. Carpe diem. Watch what what we've gotten. Some catch. We'll maybe get a little bit more, and maybe it'll go away forever. 
or maybe it'll come back for a third season. Who knows? I like but season two, season two has been, has been a real delight. I like that the pitch is that life is fleeting. <laughs> seize the day. Watch this TV show that's not great, but is kind of fun. It's very fun. It's very fun. Very fun. It's fine. You haven't watched any of season two, have you? No. There you go. No, I, I watched the uh, first two or three, and I think I even recommended on this podcast when it first came out. It was the best. It was miles ahead of how to get away with murder in terms of Shondaland dramas. So. Yeah. And it's only gotten better. Don't doubt it. Um, so, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Great question, Liz. Probably The Leftovers. Sure. Um, got a couple interviews coming up. That'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, is there other TV coming out? Nah. Oh, there's other TV coming out, Liz. What? Well, You've seen it. Which one? You can't talk about it can't talk about but it. But I haven't seen it. Okay. So I can talk about it. Sure. I'm very excited for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. Season three. Yeah. Doing it up style. Who joined the cast this year? Um, Do we know? Do they? They've officially announced uh, guest stars including Laura Dern. That's right. Um, and somebody else. John Hamm will be back. Yeah. Oh, uh, we were talking about this before. Uh, Debbie Diggs. No, that um, is in it. I'm getting oh, very. And Josh Charles continues to play a, a large role. I'm getting very confused with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Grace and Frankie being somehow connected in my mind. I think because of the color schemes. Um, that makes no sense to me. But the the problem is Lisa Kudrow because oh yeah she was in like as a surprise and at the end of season two which was delightful which was great she was great. But then she was announced not that long ago that she was going to be in the next season of Grace and Frankie. Oh, that's right. So yeah. I think I'm starting to connect like, oh, so Lisa Kudrow is the one they're talking about in Unbreakable, but that's not it because she was already in it. So then I just get thrown for a loop. Oh, on and let us, not, let us not forget Lisa Kudrow was also on BoJack Horseman season two. Very true. Um, She's done an incredible amount of great TV. Oh, yeah. Like just... Oh, the comeback? Since, yeah, post-Friends. Like even, I mean, obviously the comeback and then so many just kind of guest appearances mm -hmm. and I, I mean her web therapy show was really good too oh, so yeah. Uh, yeah you know what I totally missed uh in rewatching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season two I uh, remember the episode where Kimmy goes to her happy place mm -hmm. um the when her fairy godmother appears in the fantasy land uh it she is voiced by Lisa Kudrow mm -hmm. uh which was kind of a early plant I guess that we could have seen coming if we'd been paying attention but we're binging, Liz, so yeah. we're not. Well, we knew we knew in that se we knew we knew watching season two that the big reveal was going to be who plays uh, her mother because we we knew we were building up to that moment. Yeah. Um, and unless you weren't paying attention, because you're too busy binging, you couldn't process things properly. Oh, old man, Travers. Just you know, go outside sometimes. Take that a break. That dumb. Read a book. What? Write, write something. Do something with your life. Eh, sounds like a lot of work. Um, Fair. All right, Liz, what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, I did a bad job of this because the next thing I'm looking forward to is something that's technically already aired as people listen to this, but I probably won't get to it until the next day. So Last Man on Earth season is season finale. Um, it's going to be a two-parter. It's going to be looks like lots of drama. I've, I'm not fully caught up on the season. I need to do some, like heavy lifting in terms of, you know, rewatching and knowing what's going on. But that is a show that uh, will be missed uh, if it goes away. And in the meantime, uh, watching the Kristen Wiig uh, surprise Laura Dern episode uh, was a genuine pleasure. Yeah, the mid-season premiere. Yeah, it was great. 
um, got learned a lot of stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You learned. You learned quite a bit. Yep. Um, and Ben, you're planning on reviewing that, I know. You bet. Uh, so you guys can look forward to reading that. One of my faves. And uh, you will be able to read it on IndieWire.com, where you will also find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And I mean, I really, I've been disappointed, so I don't know if I should recommend our other podcasts. Like, they don't cover The Leftovers nearly enough. That's the thing. Like, I keep waiting and expecting them to get around to it, and I keep listening, and I'm there every week, and I feel like it's a tease every time I tune in to Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. I feel like right around the corner, they're about to talk about The Leftovers, and then they just sign off. And then I'll, I'll look up, you know, the, the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast with Chris O'Fault, and I'll mm-hmm. be talking to Chris on Slack all week. And we're talking about how much we love The Leftovers and how it's the best show on TV and how he he's you know getting into it. He's super pumped and he's going to get all these guests and bring them on the podcast. And then there's just, I don't know, there's, there's, like, there's like filmmakers and stuff. Like, there's, uh, there's, they're not The Leftovers people. And then Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider. He actually went out of his way to talk to Damon Lindelof on another podcast that wasn't the Turn It On podcast. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. That is very just, upsetting. That just blows my mind. So yeah. anyway, I mean, if you want to listen to those and, and kind of get ready for what will inevitably come, which is leftovers discussion, right. I, I still recommend them. But it is, it's getting a little painful. Mm, it's kind of like a Netflix series that doesn't have that punch in the middle of the season mm-hmm. where you're just kind of strolling along and you're like, well, getting a little tired here. I'm falling into a bit of a groove. We call that Marvel Syndrome. Ooh, sick burn. I, I'm the one who watches those damn shows. I'm the one who gets to say that. I thought they'd call it 13 Reasons Why Netflix Binging is Bad for You. Oh, too soon, Ben. Too no, soon. No, it isn't. Haven't seen that either. <laughs> You're doing fine. Um, and you can harass Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can only send Liz loving thoughts and kind wishes and positive feedback and nothing but good stuff at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Yep. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And in the meantime, as always, keep watching television.